Welcome to Centerway. It's great to be here, and uh, I'm excited to uh, conclude the series on Second Thought. And uh, the, uh, the series concludes uh, with uh, the title, I Shouldn't Get the Glory. On Second Thought, I Shouldn't Get the Glory. And uh, like I mentioned, it, it's the conclusion of our series that we began uh, back with 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if you go even prior to that, we actually started uh, with 1 Corinthians in general. And so we've been taking this journey through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, which was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's a church he helped establish, and uh, it's a church in Corinth. And uh, that is why the letter is called Corinthians, because it's the first letter uh, to the church in Corinth. And so you're going to hear me refer to Paul or the Apostle Paul, and that's the author of the letter, so you're not confused there. Uh, we're going to pick up in the last uh, section of this series, which is uh, chapter 10, verse 14, going on to chapter 11, verse 1, is where it concludes. And um, next week, we'll start another series. You'll hear more about that. It's, it's going to be really good, so look forward to that. Let's go ahead, and uh, if you'd like, you can follow along with your Bibles, uh, or you can look up on the screens, and it'll be projected. Starting in verse 14, it says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, it, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. That's good. Um, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. Do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I not denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage. Sorry, I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and uh, we pray that as we move through your text, as we move through scripture this morning, that you would be ever-present, Lord, that you would lead and direct what it is that you would have our hearts focus on, that we would leave this place uh, being touched by your Spirit, being led specifically as to the actions we need to take in line with your word. 
In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. Um, I thought about a lot of different um, stories as I was considering sharing this section of text and, and this idea of uh, not getting the glory. And um, I was actually just overwhelmingly reminded of a story that I've shared in variation in other contexts uh, here before. So it might, part of it might sound familiar to some of you, uh, possibly not, but uh, just wanted to give that disclaimer. Um, it's too perfect of an illustration to not share. Um, we were uh, in the midst of kind of preparation for uh, a marriage retreat that we had been asked to speak at uh, down in the Bronx. And so as we were in the, in the midst of that process, uh, we kind of just became uber aware of the way me and Meredith kind of interact and the, the different things that we could share and kind of make light of in our relationship and the things to sort of focus on. And in the midst of... Um, that process, we were uh, putting the kids to bed one night, and what was typical at that season of life was uh, Meredith would go into the room with the kids. After we would pray together, Meredith would remain, and she would sing to them. Um, I don't know why I didn't sing to them, right? I mean, she's, why would my kids choose her voice over mine? I still don't know, little sinners. Um, so the, uh, in either case, she would sing to them, and then I would uh, go out and uh, go out in the living room and then wait until she would come out and... Um, Normally, uh, what was typical is we would start to make like hot tea. So I'd go out and heat up water. We'd have a hot tea and uh, kind of sit and talk and reflect on the day and stuff. So I went out to the kitchen and I started some hot water. And as I was starting the hot water, I looked over and the dishes were there were dishes in the sink. And I thought oh, I'll just go do some dishes. And so I went over there and started doing the dishes that were in the sink. And uh, as I'm doing that, Meredith comes out and walks up behind me, and she goes, oh, babe, you don't have to do that. And I was like, oh, it's all right. I don't mind, you know, doing some dishes. And so she starts, like, kind of rubbing my back. And I'm like, how are you doing? Like, what's going on right now? Like, <laughs> a little back rubby rub, huh? All right. And so I was like, look at me wash the dishes. <laughs> and so I'm like, wash dishes a little. Look how clean this one is, you know? <laughs> Maybe I should dry them. <laughs> Maybe I should take my shirt off and dry them. No, anyway, whoa, hang on a second. This is getting weird, right? That didn't happen. Or did it? Anyway, um, in either case, <laughs> I do the dishes. And, um, and so... She's kind of just, you know, thankful and affectionate. And so, um, as you can imagine, uh, the next night, I was just leaving dishes in the sink in preparation <laughs> for this moment. And so I came out and I'm like, you know, make some tea, walk over. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing some dishes. I'm like throwing clean dishes in there just to wash them so that when she comes out, I'm like, oh, I'm doing the dishes, you know. And she's like, oh, you really, you should just make some tea and relax. So I'm like, no, I don't mind. I don't mind at all. And, you know. How you doing? And so, um, in either case, uh, this went on for a couple nights, and um, all of a sudden, uh, that moment came where I'm in there doing the dishes, and she walks right out from the kids and just goes right over to the couch and sits down. So I'm like, here I am doing dishes, <laughs> just being super nice, getting things done. And she's like, sits down, she's like, oh, I know it's been such a long day. I'm like, what the heck's going on? Like, I'm doing the dishes here, so, all right, well, we'll give this a shot the next night, and so I did, and, and something annoying happened that night as well. She just walked right past me. Um, she's just so evil, um, and online, <laughs> no, <I'm> just, <laughs> she's going to get the microphone next, so I'll just stop there, but in either case, uh, you know, I, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, what in the world? Like, I'm doing this to help out, and she's not even acknowledging me, and I don't understand, and the truth is, 
I wasn't really doing it for her, right? Like, when you do something without expectation, when you do something without wanting uh, attention or glory for what it is that you're doing, you want praise, you want uh, some type of affirmation, well, then you do it with expectation of nothing. So really, in that moment, I was doing it for myself, right? I'm washing dishes not to really help in any way around the house, but because I want attention from her, and I know that if I do this, I'll get attention, until I didn't. And then once I didn't, I wasn't sure I wanted to do this anymore. Why? Because I didn't really want to help her. I was doing it for myself. So I have a question for you. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Like, why do we really do what we do? Because in that moment, if you asked me, I'd be like, I'm just helping out, man. It's been a long day. We got three kids. She's in there singing to them and stuff. I just, I want to help. But the reality was I wanted attention. And so I, I want to submit to you as you consider the motives of why we do what we do, I want to submit to you the idea that we're glory hogs. That at the end of the day, as human beings, we want credit and praise for the things we do. We want to be acknowledged. This goes be, beyond simple affirmation. I mean, there's this human reality that when we do something, we should be affirmed for what it is that we do. I'm talking about a little bit beyond that, where we actually consider whether or not we're even going to continue doing the things we do, because we're not getting the praise and the glory and the recognition for the things that we've done. And so here's a human reality. We think, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And we know when we've been wronged, or when something is due us. We're great scorekeepers. We know when, when we've kind of uh, ended up on the short end of the stick and we're like, what the heck? Why, why am I not getting the credit I deserve? When uh, another person takes the credit for something we did, when we're in a group, I hated it when I was in, in school and we would have a group project because I'd just be like, I'm going to totally get taken advantage of here <laughs> because I know there's going to be at least one person that's like, so how are we doing while I take a nap? You know, like, <laughs> You're not doing anything, dude. And it goes on all throughout life where in workplace environments where uh, the employees get thanked for something or we all get bonuses because of all the work we did. You're like, no, man. Like, I did that work. I did that. I'm saying we know when things are due us and there's this motive at the core of who we are. Now, I realize we don't all voice it. So there's some of you that are like, no, I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. I know, you might not say that. But in the recesses of your heart and mind, you know when you've been wronged. You know when something is due you. I'm saying that it's a human condition to consider ourselves first, Christian or not. This isn't a, a non-Christian issue, and it's not a Christ follower issue. It's a human issue. We assign worth to our preferences, and to our expectations. We assign worth to them. And then in the midst of that, we also seek glory and praise. Isn't that interesting? We assign worth to our preferences and expectations. Worth being assigned to something is another way of articulating worship. And so we literally worship our preferences and our expectations. And then we seek glory in praise. 
Are you seeing the problem here? We're worshiping ourselves and then seeking glory and praise for that which we have done. Listen, at the center of our own universe is us. By default, we sit on the throne of our own lives. We're the Lord of our own lives. That's part of the reason why when we talk about crossing that line of salvation, we talk about praying a prayer that says, I want the Lord to be the Lord and leader of my life. It's because we're literally saying, I'm going to step off the throne of my own life and have the expectation and belief that God will sit on that throne and inform the way that I live my life. But when we remain the Lord of our lives, by definition, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And that's why Paul starts verse 16, uh, sorry, verse 14 with this. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now, basically what he's saying is stop worshiping lesser things. Stop worshiping created things. When we assign worth to things that are created. Now, in the Corinthian church, they were literally Uh, worshiping, not in the Corinthian church, in the Corinthian culture, they were literally worshiping physical idols, like little wood blocks and things like that, and they they would actually worship a physical idol. But we can assign worth to anything that is created and in essence worship it. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it's idolatry. We can assign so much worth to our children that they become idols before God. We can assign so much worth to our idea of a relationship that it becomes an idol before God to where we literally worship it. Oh, what's your agenda? What's your plan for today? We'll do that, whatever you want. And we literally worship it. And we reach deep into our pocket and we even fund it. What do you need, hon? Oh, 14 pairs of shoes? Okay. And so I'm going to essentially give you of my treasure, and I'm going to give you of the, the attention and aspirations of my heart. I'm going to assign worth to you. I'm literally going to worship you. And we see it in our culture a lot, where children are worshiped. And it's problematic on a lot of levels. It's problematic, first, obviously, because it becomes an, an idol before God that that something good becoming an ultimate thing becomes destructive, but beyond that, eventually that child leaves the household, and then you're left with the stranger that you married. (laughs) The only thing you had in common is that you were both for them, and now they're gone, and I'm not sure I even care about you anymore. In fact, I don't even know that I know you. You see, there's this ripple effect. It goes far beyond even what we're touching on this morning, but we have to consider the reality that when we give admiration and worth to things other than God, we enter into idolatry. And Paul is simply saying, flee from idolatry. So that's easy, right? Just stop. (laughs) I think it's, I love the simplicity of it, but the reality is it's not that easy, right? It's not that easy. What is that fine line between being a good parent and then essentially worshiping? What is that line between being a good spouse and worshiping? What is the, the, the line between all of the things that we give our time, talent, and treasure to? Because really, a video game can be an idol. We give our time, our treasure, our attention, and you, you say, listen, I'm, I'm going to worship this. A sport, entertainment, the list 
goes on. Created things, things that are made, assigning worth to them over God. So, if it's not that easy, verse 15, he says this, he says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. I like... um, the, the simplicity of that verse, what, what he's basically saying is he's saying, I speak as to sensible people. Sensible literally means discerning, thoughtful. He's saying, essentially, use common sense here. You guys are intelligent. You have all this knowledge, right? And he's talking about it standing on the verses prior. He's saying, you are knowledgeable people, Corinthians, and so use your common sense here. And the Greek emphasis is actually on the you or yourselves. And so in essence, what Paul is saying, listen, you're intelligent. Listen to what I'm saying. You can't claim ignorance is what he's saying to the people in the Corinthian church. We need to consider the, the passage in context here. The, uh, the stronger believers in chapters prior, there's this uh, delineation between stronger and weaker. And so he's speaking to stronger believers in the Corinthian church, people that know things, that have knowledge of the things of God. They know that physical pagan idols, these little things, or in some cases, large things that people were worshiping, aren't actual gods. And they're arguing in earlier chapters that their knowledge awards them liberty. In other words, I know that that's not an actual God, so if somebody offers meat to it, then I can eat that meat, right? Because that's not a real God. And so that's what we talked about in past weeks. But Paul is revisiting this, and he's saying that, the, that knowledge of the gospel should mean a willingness to lay aside your liberty. So the Corinthian church is saying, my knowledge should award me liberty. And he's saying, your knowledge of the gospel should increase your willingness to lay aside liberty, not impose it. Why? Verse 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, we all partake of the one bread. This idea of one, he's talking about communion, he's talking about the breaking of the bread and the cup, and he's talking about uh, what Christ did the night that he was betrayed when he was with the disciples in the upper room, and he broke bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you, this is a symbol of my blood that will be shed for you, and he's saying, listen, we're one body, even though we're many, we're one. Why is he talking about that in this moment? And it's because he is pushing an idea of unity and community, not individualization. So when we talk about liberty, when we talk about what's due us, we're talking about me being the most important center part of my life. And Paul is saying, it's not what it's about. We're many, but we're united under one bread. We're united under one body. He's saying it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about us, comma, in light of what Jesus has done. So it's about us in light of what Jesus has done. The gospel should inform our perspective. You see, Christian in the room, okay? So if, if you're not quite a, a follower of Christ yet, I'm speaking specifically to those that align themselves or identify themselves as a Christian. That person that you can't seem to forgive or that you can't find compassion for, they bear the image of God. 
They are valuable. In fact, Jesus laid down his life for them. That's what Paul is saying here is you can't pick and choose your value system. I'm valuable. They're valuable. Oh, but that person, mm, no, they're so wicked. They're an image bearer of God. They have value. But Paul goes even further. Verse 24, he says this, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Counterintuitive, right? Because we're wired to care about self. We're wired to care about ourselves. And he's saying, listen, in case you don't understand where I'm going here with everything else I've said earlier, let me say this plainly. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Not seek the good of your neighbor until they offend you, until they hurt you. Once they hurt you, once they offend you, uh, not so sure yet. No, no, no. Paul is saying, regardless of the situation, even if they're taking credit for your homework, whatever the situation might be, care about them for the good of them. Seek the good of them. The Greek tense here that's used is, uh, is pretty telling. It's present active imperative. And what that means, imperative means command. Present means now and ongoing, and active means continuation. So what it literally means is now, forever, and always, you're being commanded by God to seek less about yourself and instead seek the good of others. Not a momentary, but an ongoing and always, and your neighbor is everyone around you. Isn't that interesting? They're saying, Paul is saying, consider others even though we're all hardwired to only consider ourselves. The Corinthians focus on self and liberty. I mean, that, that is what it was. It was an individual society that was, that was pushed about uh, what it is that I can get for myself, what it is that I can accomplish, and it runs against the message of Christ, which in fact focuses on the needs of others. It would be our worldly perspective that would say it's about me, me first, what it is that I want, what it is that I want to accomplish, what it is that I deserve, but it would be the message of Christ that would say others first. But how can we if the human condition is to focus on self? If that's the human condition is to focus on myself, how do we ever get to the place where now all of a sudden we can fall in line with this imperative, active commandment of saying, listen, I'm going to go and consider others first. If it's that counterintuitive. Well, the easier answer is just try harder. Like, come on, are you a Christian or not? Try harder. That's the easy one, is to man up or woman up and say, listen, I'm going to lean in, and even though I can't stand that person, I'm going to be nice to them. You see my smile right now? So happy. Like, and we just try to gut through it, and it doesn't work. It's insincere at best. So how do we get there? We look to the cross. We look to the cross. You see, Jesus laid his liberties aside for you 
and me. How in the world can we walk in the, in the freedom that Christ awards us and then look to the others around us, the image bearers of God, and say, grace is for me, forgiveness is for me. Not so sure about you. Listen, you're kind of not lovable. <laughs> look in the mirror, dude. Like, you're kind of not lovable. I'm kind of not lovable. And so the way we get past this is a transformation that starts at the core, on the inside, the motives and the heart of who we are. To say, would we allow the truth of the cross to transform the motives of our heart so that we can look at others and we can seek the good of others, not because we're philanthropists, which, by the way, is often more about us than it is the good we do, right? I feel so good when I just pay and help people. It makes me feel good. I'm good, right? Oh, there's a motive. There's a heart motive. And that's, what's, that's what Paul is trying to reveal right now, that Jesus laying aside his liberties and why the focus is on communion here, is saying, listen, we have to remember what Christ has done because if we remember what Christ has done, it informs how it is that we have to function. And verse 27 through 28 he says this, he, starts, he, he goes through all things are lawful, all things are lawful, and he's repeating some, some scripture in the past, but then he goes on, he unpacked that in a prior chapter. Verse 27, he says this, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of of conscience. How in the world does this kind of make sense in our culture? You see, he's talking about going and eating at someone's house, and uh, if they put food in front of you, if they put meat in front of you, you can feel free to eat, but if they put meat in front of you and say, hey, just so you know, that was meat offered to idols, he's saying, don't eat it for the sake of their conscience. I have an example that I think will help some of this. Um, I traveled with a ministry team when I was in college. Uh, when it, my undergrad was a Bible college and there, was, there were traveling teams that went out. There was a, a traveling team that I was a part of uh, that would do um, like uh, humorous dramas and skits and things like that. And we would traveled all around the Northeast. We'd be booked in churches and camps and conferences and stuff. In fact, it's how I met my wife was uh, she was working at, a, at one of those camps that we visited. And, uh, and then she just, like, couldn't keep her hands off me. It was so awkward. And then I started doing dishes, and she's like, yeah. And anyway, a uh, whole other story. So in either case, um, we, uh, we were traveling. And the thing that was interesting is that when we'd go to these camps, uh, we would be paired up with other ministry teams. So we would kind of be helping lead these camps, and there would be a music team from another college or maybe two music teams or two drama teams or whatever. We kind of had to work in conjunction. And so we would get to know some of them pretty well. There was this one team, and this happened from time to time at different camps, where uh, they were there as a music team, but they were a liberal arts college. And so although they had some ministry degrees in that college, they were liberal arts, and so some of the musicians on their team were not Christians at all. And so they didn't even believe in God. Some of them were atheists or whatever. They were traveling with this music team because it looked good on the resume. And so they were just musicians. They were good musicians. And uh, uh, whether or not that hangs you up or confuses you, uh, the fact is that's what happened. And so we were at a, uh, a camp in particular, and we were hanging out with, uh, with this team. And there was this guy that was rather belligerent about um, 
not having any faith in Christ. And uh, it was uh, a kind of a, a loaded, almost like intentionally intense conversation anytime he talked to any of us. It was like he just wanted to be there to be like, just so you know, I don't believe in all of this. I'm going to go play worship now. <laughs> like, really? So anyway, um, the, uh, this one night he came into um, the guy's dorm where we were at. We had separate housing uh, for the ministry teams. And so he comes in and he has a bunch of uh, candy and snacks and stuff like this. And he kind of hands it out to everybody. And so everybody's like, dude, that's so nice. And so they're kind of ripping them open and starting to eat it. And um, uh, we're like, where'd you get this stuff from? And he goes, I stole it. We're like, what? He goes, yeah, I stole it from the snack bar. We're like, you stole this from the snack bar? He's like, yeah. And so, like, here's this, like, weird, awkward moment. We're like, seriously, dude? Like, you're a thief, too? That's so <laughs> creepy. <laughs> and, uh, and so what was interesting is some of the people in the room just was like, cool. <laughs> and they kept eating. I was like, wow. I was like, well... I'm not going to have any of this. And he's like, why not? It's like, it's fine. It's not expired. I was like, I'm not going to eat something that you stole. And he's like, why? And I was like, because I'm just not going to. It's not right. Like, you stole it. I'm not going to eat it. And he's like, it's perfectly good candy. And it was perfectly good candy from what I could tell. And did I have the liberty to eat that candy? Of course. Like, why not? It's candy he gave to me. In fact, if he had given it to me and not told me it was stolen, I could have eaten it and been completely free. But once he told me it was stolen, all of a sudden, now, my testimony is on the line. Who I represent is on the line. And I said, I'm not, I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> I'm not going to eat it. But I went one step further, and I'm, I started this whole talk with, uh, with something not so great about me. So now I'm going to share something good about me, just to balance it out. But it's always awkward when I share something good about me, except I think it just illustrates the point too well. I just felt compelled that night as I was going to bed. I was like, I can't believe that dude stole all that candy. And then I'm thinking, do I, do I tell on him? Like, should I tell somebody that he stole that stuff? And I'm thinking, I'm not even sure what the moral right thing to do is right now. Like, if I tell on him, then he's going to be like, you guys are idiots. Why would you tell that person ate some and that person ate them? And and so I don't know if I functioned perfectly right in that moment, but as I'm sitting in my bunk, I just sort of prayed about it and thought about it, and I said, you know what? I have to do something. I can't remain silent. And so the next morning, uh, the next day, when the, uh, the snack bar opened up, I went over to the snack bar, and uh, I had counted the number of candy bars that they had, and it equaled just under $20. And so I just went up to the bar. I said, hey, listen, counselor, ministry team member, um, I heard someone stole some stuff from the, uh, from the snack bar, and so I'm just paying for it. And so I gave him $20. And they're like, what? Who is this? Who is this kid? And I'm like, yeah, it's not one of the kids. No, but I was just like, I was like, that doesn't matter. I said, it's, it's inconsequential. I'm not trying to get them in trouble. I'm just paying their debt. Like, you guys shouldn't be out that money, and they already ate the stuff so I just feel like I should do this. Well, you're not helping them in the long run. I'm like, well, maybe I'm not, but I feel like I need to make this right. And so I gave him the 20 bucks. I walked away. And um, later that night, after in the midst of the altar call, once the members of the worship team was coming down, he came over and said, hey, hey, I want to talk to you. I was like, oh, great. He probably got in trouble and he blames me. <laughs> and so I walk over, I go, yeah, what's up? He's like, I saw what you did. I'm like, I don't know what you mean. On stage, in bed, when I was walking out in the hallway, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he's like, no, I saw what you did today at the snack bar. Again, no idea what you're talking about. He's like, you paid. 
for the candy I took. And I was like, oh, yeah, definitely did that. And he's like, why? Because I disagreed with you stealing it. He's like, dude, you don't make any sense to me. Like, what do you mean? He's like, you won't eat the candy. It's perfectly good candy. And then you go and pay for the candy I took? I was like, yeah. He's like, dude, you confuse me. Like, you're like, you're like really a Jesus person, huh? I'm like, yeah, I'm really a Jesus person. But I had this moment to speak with authority into his life about who it is that I follow and love and who is the leader of my life. Why? Because I didn't take advantage of my liberty. And I went a step further and said, I'm going to pay the debt. Now, like I said, there's a lot of stories I share up here (laughs) that put me in a much worse light. And so it's awkward to be like, and so I did everything right. But I think it perfectly illustrates what it is that Paul's talking about here in today's society. Because sometimes we read this and we're like, how in the world do we connect this idea to today? And I think this perfectly connects it. I had the ability to speak truth into his life. He had gone from camp to camp to church all summer long. And he had just thought, this is a joke. This is a joke. But my actions spoke in that moment. And what Paul is letting us know is that people's perception matters. Isn't that interesting? He's telling us through the text here that people's perception matters. What they're seeing, what they're perceiving, it matters. So let's give it some more handles. Christian, are you free to laugh at jokes and talk about politics? Yes, you have that liberty. But realize in your liberty you may also lose the right to speak into someone's life. I don't know what your politics are. I just think it's a perfect example because politics tend to be a hot topic. And so in certain moments and in certain seasons, you might declare your opinion with complete authority and do you have the liberty to do that as an American citizen? Yes, without question. You have the liberty. But does your knowledge of the gospel and your love for others change your perception in that moment. What are your motives? I can say what I want. That's America. I have the right to my opinion. Do you? Really? If you've been transformed by the truth of the gospel, which reveals that you're not your own, but that you were bought with a price, that Jesus' blood literally bought you with a price and that you lay down the lordship of your life by proclaiming Christ and say, no, God, I want to live on mission for you. In that moment of awareness, you're willing to say, listen, the inconsequential opinions of this world, I'll lay them aside. I'll lay my liberty aside. Why? Because the mission matters. Because people matter more than my opinion. Oh, that's so tough right? Why? Because in America, we're individuals. This is our society. This is liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? I love America, but the gospel is above everything. 
And the motives of our heart, they have to be questioned in that moment when you lean into the conversation. And I'm not saying be some weirdo that's like, well, I don't know how God thinks about, mm, praise the Lord. I'm not saying like be some creepy person. I'm talking about creating an environment where people are, have the opportunity to be offended by the truth of the gospel before they're offended by your opinion. Because here's the deal. If you're really on mission, your opinion doesn't matter. All it does is put distance between those that you're trying to reach. And that's not the heart of God. Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Are you living your one and only life for the glory of God, like for real, like enough to lay your liberty down, enough to remain silent, enough to say, you know what matters in this moment is that individual rather than my opinion. On second thought, I shouldn't get the glory because it's the mission of God that matters. Listen, if, if you believe this is about you if, you, if you believe that your one and only life is about how much toys you can get, how much money you can get in the bank, how much you can set your kids up for success and the generations that come, if you think that this world is all that matters, then lean in, shout your opinion, be a belligerent, liberty-driven lunatic that tells everybody your opinion all the time. Laugh at what you want. But if you believe in the truth of the gospel and the reality that Jesus laid aside his liberty, and he died the death that you deserve, and he extended grace and mercy to you, then you have to be compelled to live for something more. And a willingness to lay your liberties aside, it's like, of course. Of course, if one more might come to know Christ, then I'll lay my opinion down. Who cares? And that's what Paul is saying right here. In fact, verse 11 sums it up. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. An imitator... It gets a little confused because we're like, wait a second, so we have to literally act like Paul and, and we have to act like Jesus, like we die on crosses? I'm confused. The Greek is actually about pattern and model. What, what he's saying is, I'm modeling my life after Jesus and if you model your life after me, you are in essence modeling your life after Jesus. What is he modeling? He's modeling we lay our liberties down because of what Jesus did. Here's the problem. We drift. We drift. Why? Because we're human. And so we come back to this place where we're like, well, maybe my opinion does matter. It's like a cycle we talked about last week. And so we come back. How, how do we break this cycle? And, and what Paul's talking about in the front part of this section of Scripture is no mistake. He's talking about communion for two reasons. One, because it's the example of the model that Christ gave, but secondly, because it serves as the reminder to reset our hearts and minds. God, I drift. But when I take communion, when I take the symbol of our Lord's broken body and the symbol of, of his shed blood, I'm reminded again and it resets my heart. It moves me to another depth of sanctification where, where we're acknowledging the reality of what Christ has done and we have the ability to repent and say, God, would you take the wickedness out of my heart, Lord? Would you, would you remind me of the mission 
of what my life really should be about. So that's why we thought it all too appropriate to take communion today, to remind us in an active way as we conclude this series, to say, God, would you reset our hearts and minds? And so we'll, we'll take communion together partway through worship, and so I'll direct that as we go further on. But beyond communion and beyond the reality of reminding and resetting our hearts, the text still requires something from every single one of us in this room. And so the thing I want you to leave this place considering, the question I want you pondering is this, what needs to change in order for God to get the glory? What needs to change? What needs to change in order for God to get the glory? If it's not about you getting the glory, if it's not about me, if it's not about us, then then what is it that needs to change? For some of you in this room, it means crossing the line of salvation. It means saying, okay, Lord, I, I want you to be the Lord and leader of my life. I've tried this my own way. I've put forth my best effort, and it falls short. So maybe this morning, you want to cross that line of salvation. It's as simple as this. It's as simple as praying a prayer. God, would you forgive me of my sins? I acknowledge what you did on the cross for me. Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? You can pray that. In the, in the quietness of your own mind where you sit right now, whether you hear this by podcast or videocast, wherever you might be, even in this room this morning, I'd love to have the conversation with you if you pray that prayer or if you've prayed it in past weeks. We have resources that we want to provide you and a journey we'd love to come alongside you and so that it's not just a momentary decision. But for others of you in this room, you say, well, I've already crossed that line of faith. And so maybe the application this morning is to love others enough to not make sweeping statements that offend. Generalizations. I mean, things we all believe, right? I mean, come on, right? Maybe it's a commitment to saying, Lord, will you help me to bridle my tongue? That I'd be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger, quick to love. God, would I be an imitator of you that as you laid your life down that that God, I would lay my liberties aside so that someone else might come to know you. Maybe your application is to have a missional mindset. Maybe this morning you say, listen, I've crossed the line of salvation and I'll tell you what, I bridle my tongue. There's a lot of things I remain silent on, not in a bad way, but because I'm considering the hearts and lives of those that are in the room. And so then I would ask you, what's next? What is your application this morning? What does missional living look like for you? Maybe it means having a conversation, a spiritual conversation with people that are so hungry for it that you can literally sense it when you're in proximity. Maybe it means an invitation to this place, a coworker, a friend, that maybe just say, hey, if if you want to come along with me, I'd love to give you a ride or maybe we can grab lunch afterwards. A mission, living on mission. I don't know what it looks like, but I know that the Holy Spirit is faithful enough to reveal it to your hearts right now, what your application is. Maybe it's one that I gave example of, but maybe it's something else. So I want to challenge you just for a moment to to bow your heads, close your eyes. You can just bow your heads and keep your eyes open if you'd like, because I, I know some of you prefer to maybe journal or to put a note in your phone and I want to take a moment. I want I want to just take a moment to pause and to reflect. What is it that the Lord is is asking you to do right now. Like, what do you you need to do with this?
Lord, we come before you this morning. We pray that you'd search our hearts. You'd search the motives of our hearts. God, would you, you show us the areas that need to be realigned with the truth of the gospel. And somewhere along the way, we got, we got so focused on the things of this world, on, on the promotion, on the friendship, on the, on the teams, and the, and the engagement of our kids in, in an active life, and doing what's good and what's beneficial. And we, we, just, we got off mission. Lord, would you help us to redeem those things? That we'd walk into those environments with your heart and mind. Maybe there's divine appointments, spiritual conversations. Search our hearts, Lord. We're going to go into a time of worship right now and the first song we're going to sing and go into is the bridge talks a little bit about who we are if the song's not that familiar to you I just I want you to realize that that bridge where we declare who we are we are those things because of who God is It's not a song about us gaining glory. It's about how the glory of God has impacted our lives directly. So I want to challenge you as we go into worship in response that you'd keep your heart bowed in a way that's, that's open to what it is that the Lord might be speaking to you.